this week on the Back Table Podcast. The advice that I would give somebody who was thinking about it would be to actually physically go visit places and to put that into your plan. Like, I'm going to visit before I do it. And before I even start construction, I'm going to go visit somebody else and then staged visits mm-hmm. because you need different pieces of information at different times and you don't realize till you're there and you don't realize till it's too late. By luck, I think, I kept making these visits. I visited maybe eight different OBLs and outpatient centers over the past five years just to get, you know, new advice and new perspectives on how to do things. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Backtable Podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. For all of our regular listeners, welcome back and thank you for listening. You can find all previous episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or our website, which is backtable.com. Very easy to remember. Subscribe to the show, leave us a review, or reach out to us on social media. Now a quick word from our sponsor. Trying is believing. Nothing compares to trying a device in your own procedures and with your own patients. That's why Medtronic invites you to experience the Abre Venus Stent and see what makes it different. Learn more about Abre at www.medtronic.com slash Stent. This discussion is supported by Siemens Health & Years. Venturing into outpatient care with clinical, business, and financial decisions to consider, it may feel like you're exploring new territory and the stakes are high for you, your patients, and your practice. Now imagine you have an experienced partner to help you create a successful, sustainable practice. Feels like a relief, doesn't it? Siemens Health & Years is here to empower you in every care setting, every step of the way. Visit siemens-healthandyears.us to discover how healthcare providers leverage the specific expertise, products, and services from Siemens Health & Years to meet their unique outpatient care goals. Now, back to the episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Backtable Podcast. You are joining us live. We got Aaron Fritz, Don Garbett, and myself, Chris Beck. We are at, what's the city that we're at? We're in Palm Palm Springs. Springs. Okay, I keep seeing like downtown La Quinta or- La Quinta, yeah. We're we're actually just outside of Palm Springs, but I think it's easier to just say we're in Palm Springs. We're we're in Palm Springs, (laughs) California, and we're recording live. So this is a little different from our normal uh, recording sessions, but we're recording live from WAIS. And we got Don Garbett here, and we're going to talk about private practice. We're going to talk about culture. Yeah. So Aaron, you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Aaron Fritz here. Excited to be in person with these guys. Welcome, Don. Thanks, guys. Don Garbett, super excited to chat with you guys. Tell us what's been your favorite session so far, guys. I really enjoyed the private practice session. I have a vested interest in it, though, <laughs> so I think it affects me. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're on, what is it, day two of the conference? I liked um, I liked the OBL sessions. Like, every time I hear about OBLs, it gets me very interested in doing an OBL. Like, so in my group, we don't have an OBL. We, it seems like we don't have the impetus to get an OBL. Um, and so I love hearing all the talks about the good, the bad, and the ugly. It sounds like it's more good than ugly, though. There's some ugly details. No and doubt. We'll, no we'll doubt, get no into doubt. that. And actually, some of the speakers did get into that, some of the ugly yeah. details. I mean, it's not all rosy, but one of my um, old attendings, I think I told Don this, like he was saying, like, everyone's always talking about their job and the good things, the bad things. And he's like, the grass is actually greener in the OBL. He's like, you can, it's much greener over here. They love it. Yeah. And, and so my favorite session was, it was part of the private practice mix perfect. I really liked 
Valerie, Valerie oh, Agioso. Yes. She yes. talked about locums, locums and how she didn't enjoy her first mm -hmm. job. And then she um, found all these locums opportunities. And I got to, a chance to talk to her with Allie outside. And it's just so interesting how there's so many, all these opportunities now. But I just thought that was a good Yeah, good I think that was. And, you know, it's funny seeing more and more people do it. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, it's not like I'm not looking too. We're all looking. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not just Kavi anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's great opportunities out there. And there's, you know, you can pivot, you know, a week here, a week there into a trip with your family to go and somewhere I, different. Yeah. And that's what she said sounded like she was doing. It was like she was finding locations that like she was highly interested in being like West Coast and then family on the uh, East Coast. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's something very cool about that locums lifestyle also. Yeah. Yeah. And then my but other... But she also, she also gave, like, some of the downsides to it. Like, she did, yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought, like, I, that's what's been nice family. about WAS. Like, a lot of fair and balance, like, showing both sides of everything. Yes, mm -hmm. you're right. Everybody, nobody's been like, this mm -mm. is it. This, no, it's not a lot all of cheerleading. This. Yeah. And then the other, the tide for first is obviously Call of the Wild, IR Call of the Wild by Don Garbett. Don, can you give us a little summary of, of what uh, you talked about? And I, I think it was, like, frustrations that everybody feels. Yeah, it was funny because I didn't realize, you know, you, when you're in it, you don't realize everyone else has the same struggles. Yeah. And uh, we have a, a, a Twitter share chat where we share our frustrations, bad cases, good cases. And I shared with Sabine my frustration that I was dealing with in, in you know, hospital administration and just practice work being overloaded, you know, things that cause burnout, like working late days and not being able to see family and then having to explain to your family why you can't be home more and but it it's funny because it does affect everybody in our in our field I th it's not just IR you know it's everybody else mm. but yeah so I there was a long exchange between myself and our CMO and all like a bunch of other specialists in our in our uh, hospital and there was this uniform response of I don't have time for that and it was you know lumbar punctures and dialysis catheters and all the things that really don't require an interventional radiologist right. to do, but then that we are stuck doing, not stuck, but you know, you end up doing. One thing that Chris pointed out while you were giving your talk was, you know, the story about you just also, you build this robust program with APPs yeah. that were doing all this stuff and all of a sudden they're gone. And then, that, and that was just like, that ruined everything, right? Because it sounded like things were going gangbuster before that. Yeah, it, it was going well. We had a lot of clinical support. I think a lot of practices have done the same. Mm -hmm where we're able to do so much more and everybody gets used to it where you know the hospitalists are like they just expect these things will all be done and then yeah what i kind of gave was that in, during covid you had a lot of people considering do they want to be in healthcare and you know as a physician you're kind of you've already chosen but the pas and the nps they have a lot more flexibility in that they can kind of just kind of switch careers a bit easier than we can or just retool and do a different specialty. And so, yeah, we had six mid-levels doing a lot of work, high-level consulting, uh, doing all the rounding and follow-ups. And then suddenly when they're all gone and you got 15 consults on your board and you got eight hours of cases to go and you get to work and you're just disheartened. And then you're trying to figure out how do I pick up these pieces? But the, I mean, the cases at the, like the mid-levels like help like complete are some of those cases that 
Like it doesn't necessarily like require an interventional radiology skill set. It's like the LPs, the paras, yeah. thoras, like those are the things that are very nice to like have taken off your plate. And so that's what like, that to me was, was like what, how crushing it was. It's like, it's not like you just had like a full board full of like very satisfying cases. It's like, you know, I mean, there's just, just cases where, you know, in our practice, sometimes we say it, I mean, it, a little bit tongue in cheek, but we say we got to take out the trash, you know, like the pairs, thoras, drainages, those kind of things, the LPs. Well, it's funny you were talking about how when you push back and said, can't the hospitalists do these pairs, right? It reminds me of now that all the APPs are doing a lot of these things, you can't even go back to your DR guys because they're like, well, I haven't done one in forever, right? That's their that's their excuse too. And even though they're, you know, they're fully capable of doing, but it's just that oh, I'm too busy to list I haven't done one in a year, whatever. It's like, okay, well, let me train you up. It takes five minutes, you know? Well, like, they, did you guys try that at all with your own DR? Well, it, yes. Yeah, and honestly, <laughs> what happened was it, it wasn't just that they haven't done it in so long. It was that we've all adapted to this mm-hmm. and we've functioned lean. And so where there, in the, in the past, maybe there was time for these things, for the diagnostic grads to go do an LP, we're functioning with fewer radiologists to get the work done. And so now, you know, we haven't staffed to the level that we need because we had all those mid-levels. So we'd have to hire another rad. Yeah. It's another diagnostic rad. Mm-hmm. It just, it's not just about the ability to do it. It's about that availability to do it. And so we haven't staffed to that level to do it. But neither has any other specialty. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so that, you know, for the listeners who weren't at the talk, you know, when you talk to the ER, their answer is, I would love to do it, but I'm too busy. And the ICU doc, I'd love to do it, but I'm too busy. And the neurologist, I'd love to do it, but I'm too busy. <laughs> yeah. But then I, you know, my response to them, and this was in a Zoom call or a Zoom conference was, well, if you're, you being too busy is, doesn't mean that I do your work right. for you and vice versa. If I'm too busy, I don't ask you to do my work. Right. And none of us own these procedures. Yeah. So, so now who's getting it? Yeah. It's like we always talk about IR ownership, you know, like you want to own the patient and everything, but there's like a handful of things that you kind of don't want to own. I mean, maybe like that, I just don't know if that's the answer is like, oh, like we just have to own the patient. There's some procedures that are kind of worth like pushing back on. Like in our our practice, we've kind of created this monster, like similar to what you guys had in that we've gobbled up all those like smaller procedures from the neurologists, the surgeons and the internal medicine docs and like now there's just like this skill set erosion and yeah, it's problematic. It's problematic. I I feel like maybe we made a wrong turn there. Yeah. 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 Well, what's interesting, Don, you know, you're giving that talk and talking about the headaches of in hospital medicine and with your IRDR group. But then I know that this whole time you've been building and you know, you planned out, built this OBL. And so can you tell us about like that transition? You know, when did you open doors? Tell us a little bit about the timeline from idea to like you start started seeing patients. Yeah. So I, I can give it fairly specific. I think first, you know, there's the hatching the idea in your head and then presenting it to your partners to invest. And I think the timeline was like November, it's like November, 2019. So imagine right before COVID. Sure. And perfect timing. Full, it was, full, it was, <laughs> everything was going great though. You know, the economy was booming. Everything's great. And, and everyone's all for it. So everybody pitches in and then March of 20 or 2020 happens. Right. And then I just said, let's not do this right now. 
you know, I came out and said, let's pause everything. And then April, May, June, July hits and I saw the real estate values drop in. And I was like, hey guys, maybe it is a good time. So then we hit we hit the real estate market and and found a space. And then I think from that point, so it's like May, June, July. So hatched in 2019, November, July, 2020, we pounce on the real estate market, get something. So July, 2020, and then we open the doors 2022. Am I getting that right? 2022 yeah. mm-hmm. in June. Oh no, 2021, right? Because you're in COVID. Did it take two years to build out? It did. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, July. Sounds... We moved in in July first, twenty twenty two, right? Because now it's it's just been over a year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And do you like because you were talking about how you lost all the app apps and everything, and you guys got super busy, and then you went to this period of like pushback just to get some breathing room. How did that affect the actually like getting this OBL work done as well? Well, we, we, I tried to make some changes in the practice in, in moving that way. It, initially we had, you know, the six APPs rotating into the hospital and then the clinic, and then we have some imaging centers. So they'd rotate around and there was this preference of all the PAs that everybody loves to just do procedures, right? So that oh. they're like, I don't want to be in clinic. So nobody wanted to be in clinic. Nobody wanted to be in the hospital. They all want to be at the imaging center doing hip injections all day mm. and then leaving at one o'clock. So I, at some point I put my foot down and was like, nobody goes to the imaging center anymore, sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't just cut it off, but I was like, you know, if you go to the imaging center and you're done with your day, come over to the hospital and help the other guy, help your partner, mm-hmm. help your other guy out. And that was met with a lot of, you know, I think they were just already so burnt out mm-hmm. yeah. that when I sort of put that down and said, everybody's working until five, let's all get out of here at the same time. They were like, I don't want to do that anymore. And I sort of ate my own words, put my foot in my mouth, mm. and they all left. And I, you know, I feel a little responsible for it. But, you know, when you need, when you're going to hire someone to do the work, you need them to do the work. Right. And so we created a situation where it, it felt easy for them, I think, to, to head out. Hmm. Or that maybe they felt betrayed. I still don't know. That's tough. Like anytime you have a culture shift like that, where you're trying to, like things have been kind of set and then to like wind that back, I feel like there's always some friction involved and I'm not surprised. Um, but at the same time, sometimes that, that like turnover has to happen to then like to get build, the right people. Yeah, to get the yeah. right people to then do what you want to do. We haven't, we haven't seen that with mid-levels. We don't have mid-levels or we're actually just getting one, but um, we've seen that with like nursing and tech staff for sure. Yeah. Well, then the next step was... Um, I hired uh, mid-levels just to work in the clinic. So they wouldn't have a greener pasture mm-hmm. at one of their other rotations. Yeah. So you have one rotation, that's the clinic. Right. And then we hired separate mid-levels. You have one rotation, you're going to be in the hospital. And it's still in its infancy, but it's the clinic mid-levels have become immensely like effective mm-hmm. at doing that job. And I expect, you know, I've just finally hired some hospital folks and I hope that they, they will have the same success. You know, being successful at one role, yeah, more than trying to rotate around and and liking one job more than the other, for yeah. sure, because it's going to happen. There's yeah, halfway yeah. least resistance. Yeah, gonna... there's. I mean, there's got to be like some pluses and minuses. Like I can see the division of labor being like like you're eking out a little bit more efficiency. People get more comfortable in their role, but also it's got to be less flexibility. Like if one it of is. them goes out on vacation, then yeah, yeah. you can't have as much cross coverage. It requires or... more people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. To do it, 
But so getting back to the OBL, so you guys start up the OBL. How do you, do you guys have cases that could have been at the hospital? And so you're getting consults through like the regular hospital system and you're just like, no, we're just going to book that at the OBL. That's cool. a, that's a good question. So we get referrals in in kind of two ways. Okay. So we're we're running a consult service in the hospital. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we'll get uh, we'll get referrals in the hospital. You know, consult refractory pleural effusion, sure. liver disease. You know, needs the tips or whatever it is. Let's say vascular disease because that's something that could be sure. taken care of in the hospital or out. So now, what happened? You know, in the old old days, we just see them and you know we'll do it whenever. You know, schedule's busy. We'll do it sometime this week. Sure. If it's not like acute limb. But now we'll see them in consult and and we can say, we can effectively take care of this patient outside the hospital. This is a chronic disease. They're not in any th- limb threat right now. So I'll just, I'll go see them, do a full consult, recommend uh, discharge and outpatient management. And it's very easy. And they'll follow up in, you know, two weeks in the clinic and we'll see if they're stable enough to do them in, in the OBL or do we have to take them to the hospital because there's like some coronary disease or, or whatever. Is there any friction? Like, I don't, I don't want to get too much in the weeds and like how yeah. you guys reimburse your relationship with the hospital. Well, like, like, is there friction with the hospital? Like, hey, I mean, these are consoles that are coming through their system and then all of a sudden they're at, you know, your personal OBL and not necessarily connected to the hospital. Yeah, that, I think it's, that is a very poignant question. And mm-hmm. I think uh, it's funny because everybody addresses this question and I honestly haven't seen it yet. Okay. You know, the only real push we have with admin is, and I think I've talked about this before, is they they don't want us to use the call team, right? That's their main concern. And they've never asked me if I can bring more cases. Okay. They've only asked me if I can schedule fewer outpatients. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, I can do that. Yeah. (laughs) I never could before. Sure, 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 sure. You know, the the conversation was always in the past, you know, before COVID even, was we notice that you are using the call team till eight or nine every day. And is there any way you can schedule fewer outpatients? And they actually backed us up. We used to schedule five. Then we were only allowed to schedule three. Wow. In the, in the angio suite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they backed us up to three. They've backed us up to two now. We can only schedule two outpatients in okay. the angio suite. So, I mean, it, it's all going to go to the OBL. It's all going to the OBL. Yeah. You know, we still have outpatient tips and things that have to be done in the hospital. Yeah. We don't have a choice, but now I, you know, I don't feel like, I don't feel as worried about, can I get my patients in because I can take care of them in in a different place. So I think that's great. I mean, like one of the hospitals that we work at, we have a huge backlog in outpatients. And so like, we'll get consults. I mean, just for example, it's like a thyroid biopsy and it's, you know, it's an inpatient. And then like my schedulers, my nurses, like, let's just do it now. We can right. get it out of the way because like we, we have a backlog and to get in. I'm like, I'm like, no, that's a slippery slope. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so it's, I mean, I think it's fantastic to like have that option. I'm not saying you want to take thyroid FNAC or OBL, but like, it's just nice to be able to take have another place to go where you have like a lot more control. Yeah. I mean, um, we take, we take simple biopsies yeah, okay. too. We're just like discharge them. Yeah. Yeah. We'll handle it. And and we'll either, you know, we'll get them out of the hospital cause they're trying to hold right, them there. Right, yeah. But I say, yeah, we'll take care of it within, you know, eight days and it, it'll either be at the OBL or it'll be at the hospital. I don't care where it goes. Sure. You know, but you don't need to make them wait in the hospital for us. Yeah. For more than a decade, Reflow Medical has designed and engineered medical devices that respond to unmet clinical needs. The Wingman Crossing Catheter with its unique extendable beveled tip and an expanded indication for CTOs. The Spex LP, created to meet the need for a low-profile version of the Spex shapeable support catheter. 
and the new line of core catheters that answers the call for a suite of effective tools to use in challenging PCI procedures. Did you see the thyroid ablation one? That was pretty amazing. Yes. That was phenomenal. Actually, I we sh- all my partners. Yeah. So actually, we should. We uh, should have that guy. Gary. Um, C. Got, was it? C, right? Oh, yeah. Gary Z. C, Z. Yeah. 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 We should definitely get him on the podcast to talk about it. I mean, because yeah. like thyroid FNAs are kind of like the l- very low level. The way he presented it was so great. Me, yeah, <laughs> yeah, too. Right. He, he put that PAX list yeah. up. Yeah. Like he owned it. Yeah. 110 thyroid ultrasounds to be read. Yeah. He's like, he's like, that's, he's like, I don't see a list of unread thyroids. He's like, I see ablation, ablation, ablation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Uh, and he said they were doing it in the OBL too. But it's so true. Like when you, when something that is like diagnostic and kind of boring turns into an intervention that's therapeutic, it's so yeah. much sexier and you know what I mean? And just feel you, it motivates you. Thyroid FNAs do not. Anything that's just like a different spin. I remember like doing bone marrows. I went from the gem sheety to the on control. Yeah. Just yeah. like, I know. I was like, oh, it's just a new, something different that like made it a little bit cooler. Yeah. It wore off, but I'm just saying like the, the on control, I was like, oh, I was like a drill. And yeah, it was kind of fun. Remember our episode? I know, I know, I know. The episode one where we talked about that. <laughs> um, you remember, did you ever have where you would be sweating? Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Remember, so just all the time. Yeah. Drip in. Yeah. And it felt like that thing was going to snap off. You know, especially if it was somebody young who wasn't demineralized, it was just like, it was, it's such, so cheap. Well, anyway, I did want to ask, how has the DR side been through this? Yes. Are they been supportive? Have they been obstructive? Like, how's that been? So my group is, I think, I feel like my group is very progressive. They let me, they, I should say not let me, they supported me in doing, uh, you know, developing the outpatient um, center. It's a huge investment without sharing too much detail let's say let's pretend we Mm -hmm. spent five million dollars on real estate that's a big investment and to get 20 other docs to agree on purchasing real estate and then investing you know two million in products and construction and then saying trust me yeah Yeah, right right right. it's (laughs) gonna come back it's you know i look back and i'm a little bit wowed that they put the faith in me and but it's not without supervision there's a lot we have a lot of accountability you know we're we're small practice of like 23 now but we have a monthly meeting we discuss the you know revenue cycle management we discuss everything and there's all eyes on everything and you know as a private practice you get paid with your paycheck and then there's distributions and is it is it solely i think some we held distributions for covid and now we're holding distributions for our center right now Hmm. because it's you know, it's basically a float because we're still getting processes nailed out and scheduling okay. and hiring nurses. And there's all these, there's all these a hundred other struggles that you don't think about that are, that start rearing their heads a year in. Is it too early to say like whether like the OBL has been like a net positive or, I mean, cause even like, cause there's so many advantages to the OBL that I think like, so a lot of times like you get focused on the money part, but like almost like for my group, even if it was like cost neutral, it just feels like it would actually be a lot of like good processes, a ton of autonomy. This will be a lot of satisfying yeah. for a lot of reasons. Freeing up time versus yeah, yeah, yeah. money. Yeah, I agree. It has a lot of that freeing up time and autonomy. That being said, we're we're basically revenue since we opened the actual angio suites because mm-hmm. we were open without angio suites for a good six months. Okay, so we're just hitting October. We're just about to hit a year of angio suites in November, and I think in November we will hit revenue neutral 
Okay. So we've been revenue negative for that whole time mm-hmm. with, you know, real estate and staffing and we're paying people to help us get accredited, which different states require accreditation, mm-hmm. which is a big deal. So, you know, it's every month looking at the statement and your partners are looking at you, hey, Don, and it's not like, it's not like we haven't had the conversation every month. Sure. But every month it's the same question. When do you see us being revenue positive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, what do we have to do? How can we support you? in making us revenue positive. And it's, it's always the same conversation, but yeah, I think part of it is just, you have a bunch of smart people in a room who not everybody has the same financial knowledge, but everybody's trying to contribute in some way or, uh, in the craziest or, you know, the worst scenario you have when your partner says, well, what's our, when do we shut it down? Uh, which does come up. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's been said, and I don't think I've ever said, but when you're in the meetings there there's politics right and you have to you have to keep a really cool head and it's really hard to it, it can be hard when you know something can be sure. immensely successful but it's not there yet it can be really hard to keep your ego in check and not lose your temper in a room and i think you know anyone who has a spouse knows that if as soon as you lose your temper you've lost the argument yeah, or yeah. the conversation, right? You've lost sure. the conversation. Right. So you can't. It's the same. You have to view your partners like spouses, and you 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 have to maintain your cool. The calm, yeah, yeah. Was there any talk about, or did the thought ever cross your mind, or that you and the your IR colleagues to like carve that out, like that OPL, and like say, look, you guys don't have to worry about this part. This is us. This will be our adventure, but it'll affect workflow a little. You know, like anything like that, where you just—I'm not saying cut the diagnostic guys out, but maybe maybe they didn't want to be a part of it. You know, like um, still maintain the group integrity without like bringing everyone in the exact same business venture. We did discuss that, mm-hmm. so it was a big discussion. And I think I don't think there's—I don't think that should be ruled out if someone's considering that owning the downside more so than the other folks. But that, you know, it's sort of a business, it's a business decision. Sure. Like we will own the downside, but then do we also own the upside? Do we take all the risk and then we split the benefits? So you, you have to look at that. And ultimately, you know, in our group, we're sort of communists. Okay. You know, in a radiology partnership, everyone makes the same amount of money. There's a little bit of like, I took an extra shift and we'll su- sure. supplement these things. But that's, it's kind of a pittance compared to everything else. So there was, you know, I I never put it forward Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I didn't want it coming from me. But uh, some other folks did put it forward that why, what if we separate off the finances and just separate it like that? But then we have a few MBAs in the group and they were like, no. Okay. Who were diagnostic. They were like, no, everybody shares. We share in the good, we share in the bad, and we all contribute to success. And, you know, that outlook has been successful in our group. Yeah, because it cre- it keeps that cohesiveness with the group too. Because I imagine, like, if you guys were wildly successful, it would create a lot of oh, re- you I know, think so. resentment on their side, right? And then we'd be like, we don't need to read. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, you're like we're actually done with y'all. Like yeah. this is. <laughs> that was the other question with imaging: is have you seen it? Because that's what I think is part of a lot of people's performance is has it led to downstream increased? Yeah. Is there an imaging image. component to it or is it all just OBL? We do ultrasound there. Oh, okay, okay. Yep. We don't do CT there. Got it. So nothing we, cross-sectional. Yeah, we actually have a, a non-compete with our local hospital for cross-sectional imaging. We do x-rays, but okay. you know, we don't want to do x-rays. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
because we have a joint venture for imaging. Sure. But you know, the, the imaging that counts, MRI, CT, like you're bringing yeah, patients in. The downstream. Yeah, exactly. Like, is that, have you seen that? So we we did some initial uh, looks at the downstream revenue from from what we order imaging wise. Yeah. But it's hard to track because then what happens is I order some imaging and then, you know, there's patients that we have that the oncologists have to sure. and they order the imaging. So is it is it my downstream or is it their downstream? I see. But we did look at it and it was something like, $300,000 for one year in downstream in- imaging that was directly relatable to stuff we ordered mm-hmm. yeah. as the six IRs in the group or the PAs in our group. So it's not nothing. It's not zero. And I was our 51st most referrer to our imaging okay. centers, <laughs> which I took as a little prize. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm one of our top referrers. <laughs> well, the last question I have, Don, is uh, really, you know, looking back, there's a lot of people uh, here at Western Angio that are interested in doing something like this in their own group. I know in my group, there's been a lot of people discussing these options. And I think they just can't get that buy-in from the diagnostic guys. Any advice you have for anybody doing that? Like now that you've kind of been through it, you guys have, you're open for a year now. Anything that you wish you knew? Yeah, I think I have two things. Things that I wish I knew and things that I would advise Yeah, for someone else who's thinking about it. You know, I wish I knew how much personal time mm-hmm. this would have, you know, if I knew it was going to be like 30 hours of my work week every week, I don't know. I think I still would have done it because that's just me. Sure. But it would have been easier. You know, there's moments in time where you've gone down a year down a road. Yeah, you know, I think everybody has some kind of moment when you're in med school, the imposter syndrome, or you're in residency and you're like, do I really want to do this? But it, I think it re- usually relates to you get to a point and you're like, I didn't realize that it would be this hard. Or, you know, I think that's where it comes from. Sure. The imposter thing. But yeah, I got a year into this and I was like, I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. I could just quit. I could just go to another, I could go do locums. I could go to another group. I could join an OBL that's already set up. Mm-hmm. And all these things crossed my mind. But you know, you are where you are and it's hard to go back. So that's the thing I wish I knew was the pers- how much personal time it would require. Well, would that help if like the, if your group like compensated you for that time in some way, like give you an admin day to like, I mean, it's, I mean, I know it's a hard sell, like whenever you're going into an OBL because you don't, you have like this non-entity that could be a total failure. And then to like give someone's like you know, quarter or, you know, 20% of their time to like then baby it along. But it's not unreasonable that if you're like the medical director of an OBL to like have some carved out admin time. I mean, yeah. maybe something down the road, but I don't know if that would make yeah. it like a less nasty pill. I think you're, you're very right that in that the group was pretty on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a few of them saw how, how tired I was all the time and they were like, Don, do you need admin time? Mm-hmm. And I already had admin time. So they added like another half day. Okay. Because uh, I, I, I've been the IR chief for like a few years. So they gave me admin day for that. And then they added more admin time for this. <laughs> okay. And I've been kind of wanting to hand off the IR chief yeah. to somebody <laughs> yeah, else yeah, so yeah. I could just do <laughs> right. this. Right. Because it's like two full-time jobs on top of a full-time job. I think the advice that I would give somebody who was thinking about it would be to actually physically go visit places and to put that into your plan not to just have it you know sort of willy-nilly like oh i'll visit places no like i'm gonna visit 
before I do it. And before I even start construction, I'm going to go visit somebody else. And then, you know, staged visits mm-hmm. because you need different pieces of information at different times. And you don't realize till you're there and you don't realize till it's too late. And so, you know, I think it was, I, by luck, I think I kept making these visits. And so I visited Mary's lab in Portland, which is very close to my drive. I visited Melton and Parsons lab and I visited Watts lab. And I know I visited some other, I visited some labs in Cali even before I hatched the idea and a bunch of labs. I visited, I know, maybe eight different OBLs and outpatient centers over the past five years just to get, you know, new advice and new perspectives on how to do things. Can you give like one example of like where that changed, like where you're in the process and you were like, oh man, it was so helpful to have gone to Mary's lab and then, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So I think two, two good points, and these might be further along, sure, sure. you know, like in the process. So I was, I was already like close to open and I visited Melton's lab, Parsons and, and Melton, and I saw they have this immense efficiency. It's a huge beast. I mean, they have the two angio suites and they have, I think it's 11 recovery bays. Wow. Because they're, you know, they're moving people through pretty efficiently and they got seven nurses running around. But I saw this one cool thing that they did and they have, you know, they have separate rooms for every recovery bay, but they wrote on the glass wall times so when the patient got back they wrote times and you don't you know you see these things and you're like what is what's the utility but what happens is they the patient gets back to the recovery room and they write every 15 minutes as a thing on the glass and then now because they're sharing patients so now all the nurses have all the patients instead of one nurse having two patients so you got all this overlap and then as soon as somebody sees like on their watch and that time's not filled out, they run over there and they check the site and they check the vitals. And so everything gets done super efficiently. So that was Melton's lab and it's just a small item, but it's something you don't think about. Yeah. And then um, Watts, Watts's lab, which is also Nick Petruzzi's lab, give give credit. What I thought was really interesting is that they were able to, you know, one of the struggles of being in a clinic slash procedure area is trying to see patients and trying to do procedures. And you schedule patients and you're trying to do procedures and then trying to mix those two things mm-hmm. can be really hard. And you don't want patients waiting an hour or two because then they're going to they're gonna go somewhere else. Yeah, And it's frustrating for everyone. So they just figured out a really good way to do it. And it's hard to relate all the details of it, but I think if you go see it, you see how it's done and you see how it can be done efficiently um, because it, it is, you're trying to mix seeing patients and evaluating patients and, and getting procedures done, which is still a struggle Sure. Um, with a manpower, you know, with manpower. Imagine you're just by yourself and you have to, the surgeons do it, you know, you have a clinic day where you're not operating and then you have procedure days. And in our structure, all the days are procedure days. So how do I get time to see patients? and this is actually the current struggle that I'm working on with my practice. So, you know, the newest, the newest proposal is, Hey, I need clinic time for all my docs. Yeah. And they're like, well, we don't see the value in that. So right now it's still a struggle. I have PAs and we do a rounding in the morning. Sure. Sure. And we talk about all the patients they're going to see in clinic and it's, it's 40, 50 patients sometimes. Wow. So we'll run through every case. And if they really need me to come see a patient, they'll, 
you know, grab me between cases and we'll go see patients together, which is how we're doing it now. But it's not how I want to do it right, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. in the long term. So that's the next challenge. Wow. Yeah, Melton and Blake's, I mean, because they, they, it's a surgical approach because of Jim, right? But like Blake, I, I went and visited them too. And it was like Blake was in clinic in the morning and procedure in the afternoon. And Jim was the opposite. They just flip flop. And it was seemed extremely efficient, you know? And so, yeah, it's like you kind of have to have more of a surgical clinical mindset, I think. Also, I want to give a shout out to Blake's talk. I mean, it was like oh, early, yeah. it was like early in the morning. He's yes. just like throwing up case after case and he's like so like casual about it. He's yeah. like, yeah, and we do so, this and we do that. And you're like, it really you're like looking at it, you're like, oh my God, yeah, <laughs> impossible. Everything's a CTO and yes. it's all exactly. super he's like, simple. He's like, yeah, and you know, you may want to go pedal. I mean, you may have to stick like, you know, like three pedal accesses and then like have contralateral groin access. He's like, yeah, but you know, I mean, it takes me like 15 minutes and we're done. <laughs> he's not lying. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. I saw They're him operate. Fast. It's incredible. Yeah. It was pretty neat. It was pretty yeah. neat. Just how casual he was about all of that. Yeah, but yeah. Well, everybody up there, it's just like everything's laid back. We thought you thought New Orleans was laid back, but like those guys are they're pretty relaxed. Yeah. The one other one I really enjoyed, and, and I think because now I'm dealing with all the struggles I am, Maureen Coey. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, about UNC. She's talking about UNC. Mm-hmm. She's talking about culture, mm-hmm. and I've never really latched on to that. And I remember hearing... Peter's talk about culture. You guys were like in Europe talking about stuff. And it sort of like, you know, popped a little bubble in my head and I was thinking about it. And then when Maureen talked about it more, I was like, yes, handwritten notes, like all these details. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't have time to write handwritten notes. Yeah. But maybe I need to have time to write handwritten notes. I know. I know. I mean, it's like those, cards yeah, it's like those cards. little things that are like outsized gains. Um, sometimes I think like with our group, like when I think about like uh, recruiting, I think like recruiting is going to be a big push for private practice. Like, I mean, I think there's going to be, you know, I, I think that's going to like make or break some groups. And I think about differentiating factors. And so I, I think about like ways our group could have like differentiated, like everyone's going to throw salaries, vacation time at you, but that's like the tool that everyone has and you're stuck with the location you do have. Right. Just like what else can you do? Can you offer, like, I mean, there's that personal touch yeah. of, like, I don't know, get people, like, you know, company cell phones. Like, it's, like, those soft, like, fr- like fringe benefits that yeah, I, I kind of want to look into. Um, but, yeah, Coey certainly had, like, a more personal touch. Like, I mean, it doesn't cost you anything but time. But yeah, so that's like sometimes that, like, a big the, premium. Uh, Coke machine in the locker room. Did you guys see Moneyball? <laughs> yeah, Of course. And he's like, why does it cost 75 cents? <laughs> yeah, he's exactly. like that just give them free sodas <laughs> they're they're these are professional baseball players you're making them you're nick you don't really nickel and diming them for sodas in their own locker room yeah you know it's those little things right mm-hmm. that can totally and I, that's what i i see us very similar to like professional athletes in terms of like like you say like recruiting and it's all about culture because you put so much time and energy and life into training and then to just be traded around like you're a mm-hmm. commodity like that, that ruins teams, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it ruins practices and yeah, we're seeing it happen. And that's why we have all these locums opportunities. It makes sense. And a lot of people are, you know, even if you're in a group, you're sort of practicing in isolation to yeah. some degree, mm-hmm. you know, and when you're at the university, you have conferences and all these things, and that doesn't always travel out to private practice. Even in some of the smaller institutions, smaller universities, you might be kind of the lone guy at some satellite site For sure. and you get like no camaraderie. And then that's the camaraderie is the culture. Yeah. yeah. And how do you make up for that? Yeah. We've seen it like ruin departments, you know, 
um, academic places and private practice. Yeah. Nobody's immune to it. And then, like Koei kind of described, like that death spiral. Like, I mean, I've seen that like come close to taking down groups. It's like you all of a sudden, like a couple people leave because of a culture thing, and then all of a sudden you're short staffed, and it's like this. Yeah, doubt, like, you, can't, you yeah, can't recruit anyone because like everyone's like, like yeah, we're on. Yeah, you can get like three weeks of vacation. I mean, yeah. So yeah, I think uh, recruitment's going to be big for private groups coming yeah. up. Yeah. Well, let's do a culture in Lisbon at Cersei next yes. year. And it could be a, is Cersei a, re, be in Lisbon? a reaction. Uh, yeah, it's going to be in Lisbon. You know, we were just okay. talking about it. And maybe Peter will join us. Yeah. Talk about culture again. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Don. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on, Don. I love it. Yeah. That was great to see you guys in person here. Yeah. yeah, of course. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Dong, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon, with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, Josh Spencer, Design and Digital Marketing, led by Brian Schmitz. Social media and PR by Anne Dang, Manisha Naganathanahali, and Manbir Singh Sabli. Administrative support provided by Jim Lee Kinnebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening.